everybody, welcome back to D&J's Epic Quest. I am Justorian, and this is... Derricker. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. I saw that you had a fun day yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we went out to Kelly's grandparents. They live on Madison Lake, and we went out on the boat and just played some yard games, and they got some... They ca- like catered some sandwiches from Hy-Vee and potato salad and stuff like that, so... Oh, hell yeah. That sounds like fun. I noticed, I had kind of figured that you were up to something because, well, not up to something, but we, you know, I texted you that we got the new hard drive delivered sometime yesterday afternoon and you didn't respond for like, like six hours. And then it wasn't until I was like happenstancingly bruising through facebook and i saw your picture and i'm like ah okay <laughs> usually he's pretty quick with his replies yeah so uh sometimes i don't like the notification for facebook messages doesn't always pop up so that could have been some of it oh. too I, so then like i go in there and like i'm gonna text you or something like oh justin fucking message me and i'm like oh i hope he doesn't think i was ignoring him <laughs> so no no never never but yeah i don't know what I it is i would three day rule you haven't talked to me in three days, and I'm just assuming you're pissed at me. So, or or I'm dead. Uh, <laughs> one of the two, yeah. Probably not gonna be pissed. I'd at probably. You. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't see that going anywhere like that. So, but yeah, we've got some exciting news for y'all. Uh, yeah, we do. If if you follow us on Twitter, I guess it was probably what a week and a half. I don't know if it's been two weeks or not yet, but. I said we had a couple exciting things coming up. Um, I think one of those will still keep under wraps for now. I don't know how you feel about that, Justin. Um, but the other one, yeah, we, we can we can share that. So uh, before we get started in our episode today, we'd like to take a moment to thank and recognize Silverstone's Books. Um, check out their website, silverstonesbooks.com. They have a pretty big selection of fantasy, sci-fi, horror books, um, a lot of them are signed by the authors, and they're pretty reasonably priced. I've bought a couple books from there. Um, they also carry a large number of indie authors, so help us out by helping them supporting self-published authors. Talking with them, they've been cool enough to give us a promo code for 10% off your next order, and that code is DJQuest, one word, Um they gave it to me in all caps. I don't know if that'll make a difference or not, but um, check out their site, pick up a book, save a little bit of cash, and uh, support some self-published authors. Yeah, that is really freaking cool. Really, really cool. I haven't had a chance to check out their website because, you know, hard drive issues and just work has been super busy. But uh, yeah, that's that's really cool. So yeah, check out their website, y'all. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's it's pretty exciting, um, and and hopefully, uh, you know, it's good for everybody. So, absolutely. Um, well, on to our patrons. We have another one, which is absolutely fantastic to see. And in order of subscription, we've got Jan, the picker of pies, Luciana, our lady of fantasy, Ryan, the topological, Damien, the rock of faces, Nate. Fiddle me this, and Dylan Shield Anvil Dylan, and then our newest uh, welcoming is Parker Little. We have yet to confirm a nickname for Parker, but I'm sure that'll that'll happen soon. So, 
thank all seven of you for your patronage. We really, really appreciate it. Absolutely, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for believing in us and, and helping us with this uh, pretty large endeavor we've we've decided to set out on. Um, it just it seems like it keeps growing. So it's fun, though. Uh, yeah, I was you, you took the thought right from my head. It's definitely growing from, oh, well, maybe we should, uh, you know, not do the main 10 and, and do the novels of Malzan Empire. And then it was like, oh, well, shit, if we're going to do that, let's do the novellas that Steven Erickson did, you know. And then on top of, of course, the, the other books that we've wanting been wanting to do. So, yeah, it's it's been quite a journey. And... We're nearing the end of this book and we've been we've been dancing with it for almost nine months now so some dedication right there ready for a new dance partner here with a new book pretty quick <laughs> dance partner huh what you saying i like this book but i'm just anxious to get into the next one. Oh yeah 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 well you said dance part oh gotcha okay this is a three-way dance got it <laughs> well you said we've been dancing with this book so i yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. I didn't I didn't take in the logistics of my own comment. Um, no worries. Yeah. Well, you want to lead us into our epigraph here? Sure. Chapter 18, epigraph. I stood in a place where all shadows converged, the end of the path of hands, soul taken in divers, through the gates of truth, where from my darkness all mysteries emerged. The path... Trout Sen Al Bakarala. We haven't met that person yet. Oh, what's up? No, no, not at all. But for some reason, I'm getting like someone that is like a higher, like hierarchically, you know, like above the Boakrala. So I kind of wondering if it's Poost, if this is like another name for Iskaral Poost. I feel like if he said it, it would have been crazier. <laughs> well, I mean, you could probably say it a little bit crazier. I stood in a place where all shadows converged. <laughs> That's pretty good, man. So the end of the path of hands, soul taken and dehydrated <laughs> through the gates of truth. Where my darkness, all mysteries emerged. <laughs> I you know, something like that. I like it. Thanks, man. I think yours was better, but the hard part is uh, trying to remember how I did it and everything. So I think it's just one of those impromptu moments where you just kind of like find something right then and there and it's just like shit i don't know how to replicate that yeah i'll try i don't know if i have any poost in this chapter i think that's you yeah i think i think that i do i don't know if i documented like his exact saying so i might have a little if i come across it but anyway this is uh episode 22 chapter 18 of steven erickson's dead house gates and here's the first section they came upon four bodies that marked the entrance to the maze. The figures were contorted, limbs shattered, their robes twisted and stiff with dried blood. Mapo recognized the figures, answering suspicions that came with little surprise. He thought to himself, nameless ones, priests of the Azath. If such entities could have priests. Icarium stepped forward with a grunt, his eyes on the staff lying next to the, one of the bodies, Icarium says that he's seen these staves before. Mapo, with a scowl, asked how and where. Icarium replied that he saw them in a dream. Mapo questions him about being able to dream. 
With a half smile, Icarium recites the tale of his dream. It all began like all dreams began. He's stumbling and in pain, yet he had no wounds and his weapons were clean. The pain was within him as if a knowledge was gained and then just lost. Mopple struggled to comprehend his friend's words. Icarium dryly continues on, explaining that in his dream, he arrived at the edge of a small trellish town on the plain. It had been destroyed. Scars of sorcery stained the ground. Bodies rot in the streets as great ravens came to feed. Their laughter was the voice of the stench. Mapo attempts to interrupt, but Icarium continues on. A woman appears, a priestess, dressed like the ones they saw at the entrance to the maze. She holds a staff from which fell power still bled. Icarium asked her what she had done. She replied softly that she did only what was necessary. Icarium saw fear when she looked at him, and this made him sad. The priestess says that the jag could not wander alone. He explained that her words recalled terrible memories, images, faces, companions countless in number, as if he's rarely alone. Men and women have walked at his side. Sometimes it was one person. Sometimes it was a legion. He explains that these memories fill him with grief. Icarium feels like he's betrayed every single one of his companions. Bapa watched him pause and then nod his head. Icarium went on to say that he understood this now, and they were guardians like Mapo, and they all had failed or been killed by his own hand. The priestess sees the expression on Icarium's face after he's told that he shouldn't wander alone. Her face matches his expression. Her staff blossoms with sorcery, and he wanders a lifeless plane alone. The pain was gone where it once lodged within him. Now there is nothing. As he feels his memories drift apart and fade away, he senses that he has dreamed and so have awakened. He turned and gave Mapo a dreadful smile. Mapo thinks to himself that this was impossible, a twisting of the truth. As he saw the slaughter with his own eyes, he spoke with the priestess. You have been visited in your dreams, Icarium, with fickle malice. Fiddler cleared his throat and made the observation that the bodies were guarding this entrance and whoever came upon them was too much of a match for them. Mapo explained to everyone that they've known that they are known on the Jag Odon as the Nameless Ones. Apslar muttered that the cult was supposed to be extinct. They all looked at her and she explains that it was Dancer's knowledge. Who's chimes in and condemns them to hood? Them and their presumptuous claims. Fiddler asked with impatience, what claims? Pooh scoffs at the servants of the Azath. His master scored them from the empire, a task for the Talon, a needed cleansing, a plucking of the thorn from the emperor's side, slaughter and desecration. Too many vulnerable secrets. Oh, how they resented the, his master's entry into Dead House. Absalar snaps at the priest. The priest ducked as if cuffed. Icarium asked Absar whose voice that was that just spoke. She fixed eyes on the jag and explained that these memories have responsibilities, just as having none should make him feel not guilty. Crocus edged forward, calling her name. Absar responded that it was her and not Cotillion. She did admit that she was getting tired of all the suspicion, as if she cannot be herself. Unstained by the god that once possessed her, she was a girl when she was taken, but she is no mere girl anymore. 
Her father sighs and tells her that they are all not what they once were, and there was nothing easy about how they got here. He seemed to be struggling for words when he finally said that she had ordered the priest to stop talking. Secrets the dancer would want kept that way. The jag had every right to ask, ask it of you. In a rebuttal, she said that she is not a slave to what she was. She chooses what to do with the knowledge she possesses. Ikari apologizes to Apslar and then turns to Mapo and asks what else he knew of the Nameless Ones. Mapo hesitated and explained that the Nameless Ones were welcomed by the tribe and were treated like guests. Their visits were rare, though. Mapo believes that they indeed viewed themselves as servants of the Azath. If trial legends hold any truth, then the cult may date back to the time of the First Empire. Mapo was interrupted when Pust exclaimed that they were all eradicated. Mapo stated that maybe within the Malazan Empire they were eradicated. Ikarian looked at Mapo and said that if he was holding truce to let the Jag hear them. The Trell sighed and explained that they took it upon themselves to recruit his guardians and have done so since the beginning. Ikarian asked why. Mapo said that this was something he did not know. Ikarian re- inquires if it was because of noble vows or protection from the Azath. Mapo just shrugged. Relic, in frustration, said that it might be guilt for all they know. All eyes swung to him, and after a long silence, Fiddler suggested that they all get moving, and into the maze they went. I'm, I love this chapter. Like, everything about this chapter was just absolutely phenomenal. It, uh, yeah, it was a really good chapter, and it, I guess I don't think we've said we've had a chapter that we didn't like, though, either. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's that's fair. It's just uh, one of those things where, you know, there's definitely some chapters that are better than the others. Not that the others are bad by any sake of the of, of the word, but it's just this this chapter had me going. And I remember reading it on my way back to Pittsburgh um, in the three hours that I got not driving. So, yeah, it was it was fun. It was good. And I read it and I'm like, I had to text. I had to text you. I'm dude. Like, this is a fucking, oh my god, such a great chapter. So, yeah. I know, I didn't even know what to expect, but I'm like, oh man, I was a little jealous you got to read it before me because I don't feel like that happens too often, but it did this time. So I was like, oh. I was just yeah. itching to get to it. <laughs> and I made that itch worse, huh? Uh, yeah, you did. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to read it, and then we had to rip out the carpet in our basement. So I couldn't do it that night. Yeah, that's fair. Makes sense. But just the way this this chapter starts off was just fucking epic. Like, what an entrance to a chapter, right? Just, like, four people ripped apart, scattered all over. Right. Yep. You know, and I, I feel like we, I don't remember if it was you or I, but we had a, a kind of a sneaky suspicion that the Nameless Ones were associated with the Azath in some way, shape, or form. So it was nice to get, like, clarity that they, they worked directly for the the azath you know they served the azath in some way shape or form i i guess i don't i'm, I'm gonna guess that was probably more your thought than mine mm. but i'm not disagreeing with it it uh okay yeah well that's good that's good it was just nice to get some clarity there i think for sure you know some like direct yes this is what they are and even some more you know, lore and history into them. Like they used to be, well, they are a cult, right? So immediately that tells me that 
they don't really have the greatest intentions. Probably not. I mean, most cults don't. Right. Yeah, exactly. Especially ones that drink Kool-Aid. I was just thinking that. (laughs) And I don't know, just my heart wrenches for Icarium here and Mappo. But just the way that he starts to explain how his dream begins, it's just like even in sleep, when he's sleeping, he can't escape the torment because he begins all of his dreams essentially stumbling and in pain. Like that seems to be like the reoccurring thing that happens every time he dreams. I had not picked up on that. But that also raises the question, is that the whole point? Just like a a life full of pain? Right. And no way to, no reprieve from it. It very well could be. I mean, even without dreams like that, sometimes that's how life can be. I mean, it's definitely not always easy, right? Just one punch after the other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that one. Um, The next thing that I had is that when he's explaining the Trellish town on the plane, and it was destroyed, you know, scars of sorcery, bodies were rotting in the streets, and it says great ravens came to feed. So great ravens are from Moonspawn, are they not? Those are the those are the Moonspawn ravens, right? I think well, I don't know. I don't know if they were exclusive to Moonspawn. I mean that's 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 a fair point. Um, that's the only place we've seen them. Well, well or at least because, I mean, they kind of flew out and around on the other continent, on Genebacus. But right. we were told earlier in this book that uh, Tisti Andy have not been on that continent. They have not been to seven cities. I don't know if you remember that or not. So I don't remember who said I, it. I do now, yeah. Somebody told us that they had not been there. Okay, well then, I guess never mind. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe that just... But, I mean, it's a dream, right? Like, this is him recalling a dream. So maybe that is something that you're picking up on that would indicate kind of Mapo's suspicions a little bit later on in this in this section. Maybe that's just, like, a little tiny clue that this is maybe a manufactured dream. Well, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. And maybe it's just a detail that, like, Icarium isn't aware of. Maybe Icarium has no idea that Great Ravens never visited the Seven Cities. I mean, I know that Icarian has met Anomander Rake, so maybe that is real. Or it just makes me wonder if, you know, maybe nobody remembers the, the Tisty Andy being there. I don't know. Very well could be. Somebody somewhere told us that. Uh, a character told us that yeah. they hadn't been there. But with Erickson, anything goes. So that could just be that character's ignorance, right? Like, they just don't know. Right, They just know what they've been told, right? So, but I guess that could be a clue. It could not be. Who knows? It could just mean a giant fucking raven, you know? Right. Well, I mean, like, who knows what kind of, you know, uh, territory they have, you know? I mean, they they could cover a big area. It might not be out of the realm of possibility for them to fly to seven cities and maybe they just migrate around. I don't know. Well, I mean, do we know for certain that Trells were, are like from the Seven Cities continent? I mean, that's also true. That could have been, yeah, I mean, the dream could have been somewhere else. Right. So I don't think we got any mention of Trell outside of, you know, when they were talking to, when Baruch and Anamanda Rake were talking about how he had met Icarium and, and Mapo. So 
And I mean, they ventured all over. Is it always on one continent or have they sailed off to other continents? Mapo and Acarium? I would imagine in like 90. Yeah. For, I, would, I would at least think for Acarium, if he's been alive for 90 plus thousand years, he's he's probably, he's like Johnny Cash. He's been everywhere, man. Right. Because there's a uh, Acarium's mechanism in Jerusalem. So he's totally, the trial town could be not on the seven cities. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, it. Wow, I didn't really think that we would get hung up on this one really <laughs> tiny thing, but uh, you know what? That's cool. That's cool. Maybe it's something that like, I feel like most readers probably miss that and interpret gray ravens as just ravens. You know, I could be wrong on that too. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I have to make a poll. But yeah, and you know, I guess it's just you know, this is great because it is a nice little segue into my next my next point, which was. Uh, it's the way that Icarium is explaining the dream is not how Mapo remembers the events that happened. And I almost get the sense that the nameless ones destroyed the town, but that doesn't seem to be the way that Mapo remembers it. So in the dream, it seems like the nameless ones destroyed the town and not Icarium. When Icarium asks the nameless priest, the nameless one priestess, what have you done? I'm assuming that means the destruction of the, or that is referring to the destruction of the child town. Yeah. The carrier just seems to be a pretty unlucky guy. Well, do you think that like, this is a setup? Do you think that the nameless ones have like twisted Mapo's version of it in some way, shape or form? And as punishment, he has to follow around a carrier and make sure that a carrier gets what he deserves. Why would they just jag? Why would they twist it? I mean, we already know Carrium's done horrible things, so I don't know why they would. You know, if he destroyed a, a small little town, I mean, compared to what you know, destroying entire civilizations, cities, a town—it's like stepping on an ant. I feel like. I mean, it's pretty inconsequential. Well, sure. Don't get me wrong. I like am more leaning towards Mapo's side than I am Carrium's, but. I guess that was just my attempt at like some devil's advocacy. You can't really trust the nameless ones. They're you know, they're definitely not ones that you can trust and confide in. There's going to be manipulation there. Maybe it's just more the sense of Mapo speculates that his dreams are doctored, so to speak, and it's just a way for the nameless ones to continue torturing Akarium. By making him feel that he hasn't done anything wrong, but yet he doesn't remember. That's kind of fucked up. It's like super fucked up. I don't know. I mean, he's kind of, he's starting to remember things. So I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm sure we'll find out more about the nameless ones. Um, it, it, it's cool to get like more clarity on them. Um, and there's, there's still definitely more here. For sure. Yeah. Um, the next point that I had is there's a little bit of uh, some father-daughter argument here and i don't really know what to make of it because they both bring up really good points and and i just wrote here as such is the life of parenthood so (laughs) sometimes you just can't win right exactly but you know relic is just like well you know you are holding withholding secrets that we should probably know about but yet you choose not to so Icarium had every right to question whose voice that was. 
that spoke out of your mouth. And she's just like, I'm going to do what I want to do with the knowledge that I possess. Yeah. Like you said, yeah, it's, it's fair points on both ends. And then um, is it just me or because the way that it was worded was Icarium, what I assumed was an apology. And that's how I wrote it in the summary. But he said to Absalar that he stood chastised. And I'm assuming that meant to apologize. Like, I'm not crazy to think that way, right? Uh, I don't think so. No. I mean, I, okay. I, I, I follow you. Okay, cool. And then when Poost was talking about the eradication of the nameless ones, and Mappa was just like, well, I mean, maybe within the realm of the Malazine Empire they have... And is that maybe some like ominous foreshadowing that the nameless ones still exist somewhere? I, th- I mean, I think so. I mean, it's not like the empire controls the entire world or I, I don't get the impression that they do. So, I mean, you can, do you think that they think they do? I mean, maybe they're like conquesting to take over the whole world, but I mean, that's a pretty big, pretty big endeavor, right? Isn't that what they're doing though? I mean, they've almost like taken back all of the the cities in Genabacus outside of Jerugistan. That was the last city to fall. They're just doing it one continent at a time, or simultaneously. I mean, I, I, you'd, have to, you'd have to have a pretty big population to do that. I feel like. Yeah, maybe. I guess who knows? We've only seen we are two parts of this world. Yeah, yeah, we're still babies into this whole thing. So, I'm really excited to just. One day when I get to that point where I like have all that knowledge and I could just go back and read and just all of the things that are just going to click in place a little bit more, it's just going to be great. The rereadability that it'll be, yeah, just, uh, I'm sure we'll pick up on totally different things. I think what would be cool is like, we definitely don't have to go through each chapter again, but it would be cool to just read the book and then have like one podcast about it and just kind of like, like compare the differences from when we started to where we ended, you know, as we reread, as we reread it. So get a little time before we get to that point. <laughs> I know that's just me being overly anxious. But, <laughs> I, I feel you. But, you know, it sounds like the nameless ones, you know, are old as fuck. And, you know, Poost makes it seem like they were eradicated during Kellenved's time because they didn't like him using the dead house. Uh, to assume, you know, more or less teleport between different continents is what I'm get was what I'm getting. So I can understand why there's maybe a little bit of like a territorial thing there with the nameless ones. Like, hey, no, you can't come in here. Well, too fucking bad. You're called dead. <laughs> too bad. Yeah, maybe that's uh, maybe that's how they ascended. Is they took out the nameless ones, and yeah, I don't know. Maybe they use the path of hands to ascend. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, my last point here is uh, Relic in frustration said that it might be guilt for all they know. And I thought it was really funny. This was kind of like one of the few comical moments in this chapter, I thought. But he goes, he starts off by saying, conveying his frustration by like saying, good stubby ankles like stubby ankles i really have a hard time imagining the god of the underworld with stubby ankles or like cankles you know (laughs) so yeah i just i get like 
like Philoctetes from Hercules or something. You know, just this like like satyr with no ankles. I don't have anything to add to that, Justin. <laughs> I do what I can to upset anybody. So Oh, it's not upsetting. Yeah. It's it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Sometimes my humor upsets. So what do you do? Just keep on keeping on, ma'am. <laughs> right. But yeah, I guess outside of that, did you have any thoughts for this chapter um, or this section? No, not on that section. I don't think I've got anything to add for you. Sweet. Well, I'm a fan of moving on if you are. All right. Section two. Arms and limbs. What clawed at the roots binding them, trying hopelessly to pull themselves free. There were not many limbs in this mess that appeared to be human. In his mind, Fiddler failed to conjure up mental images of what these limbs belonged to, even though he knew whatever he imagined wouldn't be as horrible as the reality. Tremolor's jail system of roots held demons, ancient descendants, and many other alien creatures that the man was left shaking at the realization of how insignificant not only he was, but all of humanity. They could hear fighting on all sides, the sound of wood breaking, traveling, and traveling through the air. Screams, snarls, and the sound of weapons were all drowned out by their makers. Fiddler centered himself on the path to stay out of the reach of the roots. He crouched, holding the sweaty stock of the crossbow. Only three hounds remained with the group since Shan and Gear took off down separate paths. Nobody knew where they were or what they were doing, but Baran, Blind, and Rude were not bothered by their absence. Blind was with the carrium, Baran at the rear, and Rude was only feet from Fiddler its eyes seemingly fixed on him. He looked at Blind and Icarium and shivered. They both understood the proximity. If a bargain was able to be struck with the House of the Azath, then Shadowthrone had pulled it off. Hound would not be taken, even though Tremolor yearned for such a prize. But this deal involved a much greater prize. Mapo with his dinosaur club was near Icarium. Fiddler felt for Mapo, being torn apart inside. He had more than divers and soul taken to guard against. There was also his friend, who he loved like a brother. Absalar stood with Crocus, who had his knives out, while Poost was cowering a step behind. Fiddler looked at the group and thought they, they, this was all they were, this and nothing more. Fiddler paused before the bend in the path, but some instinct, instinct told him to wait. A thought in his mind he couldn't shake. Wait, go no further, he heard in his head. Wait for what, he thought. He continued looking ahead. Rude's hackles rose. Moments later, movement exploded all around them as an enormous shape appeared with the roar that froze Fiddler's blood. It was a brown bear as big as a carriage, its flanks scraping the sides of the maze where arms pulled and stretched hands closed on the fur. He saw one arm rip from the wall, its spurting blood from an empty shoulder socket. The bear ignored these attempts and barreled forward. Fiddler dropped to the ground. The bear crossed over Fiddler without a second thought only interested in the Encar all ahead of it. The flying creature avoided the bear, but it was Mapo's dino club, in Mapo's dino club's path. He smashed it over the green monster in Boston, and it was dead before it hit the ground. Talons and hands taking hold of it. Mapo roared, No! Fiddler looked to a carrium, but it wasn't, th but that wasn't what caused Mapo to cry out. It was rude, attacking the bear, screaming, the soul taken lurched sideways into a wall where there was an arm strong enough to hold it. The arm wrapped around the bear's neck to lock it in. Rude bit down on a hand and ripped the arm off. Mapo yelled, 
Mistrem! An ally, Puss shrieked, a soul taken! While he danced, Mappo sagged to the ground, whispering, friend. Mappo, Fiddler understood him. It was the first friend lost today. Tremolor had claimed both soul taken. Opposite walls facing each other for all eternity. Or was it? Icarium called to Mappo and said to look at the arm crushing Mesrem. Hood will take him. Death will take him as it did the Encaral. The root, the roots from the two, two walls reached out to each other to form a new wall. Fiddler told everyone to quickly get to his side. Sorry, my tongue, a little tongue-tied here today for some reason. I'm not a sure little why. bit. <laughs> uh, I stood you conveyed it beautifully. This section makes me sad. Uh, it's pretty dark, and I don't really think I've felt this way in this book yet, but like this section was just like a straight up horror book. Um, oh yeah. I see that. I could see that totally. Just, uh, you know, like this maze that they're in, the only thing like I kept imagining in my head was, you know, in, in aliens, when they go into the hive and they're standing outside of it and you can just see like, what the fuck is this? Um, like that's what I imagine. Just like the, an alien hive, you got shit stuck to the walls all over. You don't know what the hell are. And then I was thinking, like, this is the crossover I need. I need some aliens, Malazan, like fan fiction crossover. So if it's been written out there somewhere, <laughs> like somebody point me in that direction, or maybe once the, we finish this series, I'll <laughs> I'll take a stab at it. Try writing something. Yeah, there you go. But like, man, that was the vision in my head was just you know, like this resinous stuff, you know, and it's hot and it's dripping all over and just nasty. Yeah. No, I could totally see that horror element that you're talking about. Um, my immediate thought wasn't, wasn't aliens by any means, but you know, I'm imagining this like gnarled Rudy, you know, hands just kind of like out on the wall. I almost kind of get like a, a God of war feel a little bit in some of the the puzzles and the scenery that you see in those games. Um, but yeah, pretty fucking badass. Pretty badass. Yeah, and then you lose somebody who probably would have been beneficial, uh, you know, in, in getting through all this. But it was kind of badass to see Mapo just, you know, take a swing with this club and just crush this thing. The Encarol. Encarol. Right. And it just like caves in his chest cavity or whatever. Yeah, like, it just wrecks this thing. Yeah, it, it's absolutely beautiful the way that it was written. Um, the hard part, I guess, for me is that, you know, I see Miss Remd as having a little bit of a conscience as a, as a soul taken based on the interactions that he's had with Icarium and Mapo earlier in this book. And even in the encounter with, you know, Felizin and, and Gryland, right? He always seems to be wanting to aid and help, but yet he himself cannot avoid the path of hands. Like he's here. He's converging on this like false path of hands, but he doesn't, he doesn't have that out of the box thinking to know better even though his intentions are purely just to help his friends. Just at kind of the wrong spot at the wrong time. Right. Exactly. 
So I think that's what makes this section sadder. You know, we don't really get a lot of Miss Rambs as a character, you know, just we get a few interactions and all he's trying to do is help. Yeah. Then he gets, <laughs> it gets kind of fucked. Right. Exactly. And of course, you know, it only gets worse as you continue on in this chapter. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was a cool, very like action oriented scene, you know, um, a rude, do you think that, I guess, rude biting off or attacking the bear, do you think that was just a, a self-defense not knowing any better? Or do you think that that was malicious? I'm not sure because I feel like the hounds kind of know what's going on. So I don't know. Maybe it's a way to do a little extra damage. I, I don't know. So do you think that Shadow Throne has uh, structured a bargain? With the Azath, like it it mentions very briefly here in the beginning of the section. I feel like he must have been able to pull it off. because, And that deal is to give the Azath a carrium because that is what the Azath fears the most, right? Right. Yes. And actually, I think that was the line that I was... Well, we can talk about that later. Uh, oh, okay. All right. But yeah, I, I feel like, I don't know, maybe there was... Maybe the deal involved the hounds, you know, kind of, you know, in exchange for their lives. You got to, you know, it's it, maybe it's another life for a life type thing. Like protect the Azath. Yeah. So like if, if you don't want the Azath to take the hound, then the hound needs to give the Azath something else. So do you think that's why blonde or not blonde, but blind is so close to carry him in this chapter? Like to make sure that something doesn't happen to him. And eventually, I think eventually at some point, I, I don't know if the Zath's going to get a carrium or if he's going to just get pissed and tear it apart. I don't know. Well, I mean, he does. I mean, later on in the chapter that, that yeah, that does kind of happen. I'm just, I'm not, sh- like, I don't know which way it's going to go. Like, is is he going to get stuck in the Zath or is he going to s- destroy it? Because I feel like those are the only two options. It's, I feel like it's got to be one of those. But I don't know which way it's going to go. I feel like they join forces. I feel like Icarium takes the Azath and like cleanses it in some way, shape, or form by doing so. You think so? And thus gains. Yeah, I feel like Icarium and Mapo are pretty like big characters. I don't know why they would kill him off at this point in time. I can see him doing it, but at the same time, yeah, I don't know. I guess anything's possible, but I guess that's just my theory. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. There's so many different... <coughs> excuse me. I guess I feel like there's only two possibilities, but I'm just torn on, like, you know, which way it'll go in my mind. I don't I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that is fair. Well, I mean, like, if you remember, like, Poost, Poost didn't even want to go, and he has that conversation with Shadow Throne God... And like, oh, this benefits the Shadow Throne and, you know, all that crazy shit that he was spouting. And then the hounds show up. So that's right. I I think I guess we'll just have to read and find out. That's just what we'll have to do. Uh, I mean, at this point, we're speculating, but I feel like there's a lot there. I, I, I genuinely feel being so close to the end of this book that we we have 90, 92 percentage of the information. And it still feels like everything's on the tip of my tongue as to what's going on and, and the events that are, are taking place. Like I, I can feel the sense of like, soon I will understand it. 
it'll make there's just going to be a point where it clicks and like right. you said i mean we have a, a, a lot of the information but obviously we've been we've been fooled in this book so right and i think that's what's getting like gardens of the moon was very straightforward with the information um there were definitely some surprises but it wasn't a switcheroo no you know so like you go into this book kind of with that like same mentality that everything for the most part is going to be pretty straightforward and then whoop switcheroo <laughs> right so i'm curious as to see how many because like i know there's been there was a, a youtube comment and i forget by who 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 posted it but they were like i knew it was fellas in right away i don't know how you guys like missed that um and i was just in my reply curious to him be like do you think that that is the common consensus among most people who read it or do you think that a lot of people were deceived by the switcheroo well i know jan told us he was not fooled so maybe we are outliers in uh in thinking that but you know i don't know i guess it's just i think it's probably because we are doing such an in-depth analysis and we really don't know anything. So yeah, we're looking at it a little bit too much in the weeds and based on everything that we had read about a numerous amount of Poos rants, that all seemed to be the direction it was going towards. And you know what? Yeah. I'm kind of happy we got, we got fooled because it makes things a little bit more entertaining that way. I agree. Yeah. I'm ready to move on. If you are, sir. Yeah. Go ahead and take it away. All right. Silent once again, they moved on. Fiddler's hands were trembling uncontrollably as he gripped his weapon. The things that he had just witnessed had his nerves struck. Fiddler thinks to himself as to how they are going to make it to the dead house, where only the strongest of the soul shifters would make it. They are only minor players, with one exception, a man they cannot afford to unleash, a man the Azath itself is afraid of. Sounds of battle were heard on all sides. Other corridors of the maze had other creatures that Fiddler knew they couldn't avoid. The sounds were growing louder. Fiddler thought to himself that they were nearing the house. They were all converging. These sounds caused him to stop and turn around, and to his surprise, his companions had the same facial expression as he did. They knew what lay ahead. Claws were heard ahead, and the sapper turned to see Sean arrive. Her body caked in wounds. Other sounds further up the trail. Another sound further up the trail from where Sean had come was heard. Icarium can be crying out that he was warned. Grylin, you were warned. Mapo held Icarium back with his arms wrapped around the jag. Icarium's sudden urge of anger stilled the air on all sides. Icarium was motionless, but Fid saw Mapo's arms bulge from the attempt to hold Icarium back. The sound of heartache that the trowel unleashed could only make Fiddler sag with tears welling up in his eyes. The hound blind stepped away from the jag, and Fiddler watched in horror as the hound's tail dipped. Rude and Baran joined Sean together, forming a nervous barrier, leaving Fiddler on the wrong side. Fiddler scrambled back, keeping his gaze on the jag. What they now teetered on could only promise horror. All three hounds flinched and took a step back. Fiddler whirled around and saw that the path ahead had closed into a new wall. A seething, swarming wall was seen. Fiddler thought to himself that they meet again. So 
nice, nice, nice short little chapter. And so Icarium yells out, Grylin, you were warned, right? And so I'm assuming this is what Fiddler saw with the whole seething, swarming wall. Yeah. Is that the maze itself didn't close. It was just, I, I know this is really, really corny and cheesy because the CGI at the time was just not there as far as like textures were concerned. But in Mummy Returns, you know how, you know, the Scorpion King just rushes at uh, Ben Fraser's character. I forget his name. But I just imagine like that, but instead of scorpion legs and a scorpion body, it's just swarms of rats that are carrying Grylin. I was just thinking, I mean, it was just basically like a wall of rats. Just yeah crashing forward yeah i don't know why i had that image but because i know grylin he's basically all he's basically tens of thousands of rats so yeah there isn't a human form there he's a shitload of rats (laughs) yeah but my thought about misembra and grylin is you know we saw misembra's death in the previous section and now we have grylin well they were together with Felizin and Culp and Haboric and, you know, those guys. So I can only speculate that Felizin and Haboric were not actually that far from Tremolor and were near Apsilar, Fiddler, Icarium, and such. I th- Right? Like, Yeah, it was a couple chapters ago. I know I'd kind of questioned, like, it seemed like maybe they were in the same place, maybe just at different times. You know, like they just missed each other more or less. Um, it just felt the same to me. Yeah. No, I would agree with that 100%. Totally did feel the same. I would say that's accurate. I'm just going to hold on to that in my head until I'm told of, I'm told otherwise. So That's fair. Yeah. And then this is kind of what we were talking about in the previous section where, where you know, Icarium gets pissed, right? And... It was said that it was as if an entire Warren had drawn breath. And I think that this indicates that Icarium remembers and makes thus making him whole. And does the approach of Grylin have something to do with Icarium? I feel like when they first met Grylin, he Icarium had the urge of anger too that Mappo was able to successfully hold back. I guess I don't remember that. So you think there's some some beef between Grylin and Icarium? I do. I definitely do. I wonder what it would what it could be, like what set it off. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if we'll ever get an answer to that though. But maybe they'll talk about Grylin and Icarium's previous interactions in a later book. Just like you said before, we're gonna have to read and find out. How, <laughs> yeah. how unfortunate for us that we're going to have to keep reading. Yeah, right. Those were really the only two things that I had um, in the section. I know that Fiddler has met Grylin before uh, as well. And he recognizes Grylin at the very end there when he's just like, oh, and he has that thought where they're like, oh, they meet again. Oh, we meet again. I kind of took it like it was like an, Oh shit! Like, here comes this wall of rats barreling down at us. Like, like we gotta run for it now. Yeah, 
Well, in the last section, it confirms that they've met before. So, well, way to give that away, Justin. I'm pretty sure that Fiddler had already said that butthole. <laughs> but yeah, nice, nice, quick little section. Um, I really enjoyed how everything flowed together here. Well, we ready to move on. We are ready to move on to the conversation I don't want to have. But yeah. Oh. <laughs> Got you. Uh, this yeah. this was probably my favorite section of the chapter. It was probably also the longest one. So hang on to your butts, yes, folks. Here, here we go. The girl was 11, maybe 12 years old, wearing a leather vest with scales made of flattened coins. And the spear she carried was heavy enough to waver as she tried to hold her position. Felson happened to look down at the basket of braided flowers at the girl's feet. Felson said she was skilled with those. The girl looked at Leoman, then Toblakai. Leoman told her that she may lower her weapon, while Toblakai told her to kneel before the Shaikh reborn. She obeyed. Felsen touched her head and said she may rise, and asked her name. She rose to her feet, but only shook her head. Leoman said she was likely an orphan. No one to speak for her in the naming rite, so she is nameless. But do not doubt that she would give her life for you, Shaikh. If she would give her life for me then she has earned a name. So with the other orphans. As you wish, who will speak for them? I shall, Leoman. Felsen reached down and took a braided flower bracelet, and they continued on to the heart of the oasis. The air grew colder, and the coolness of the shadows was a little bit of a shock after all the heat and sunlight they had endured. The ruins in the oasis were endless. A city was once here. Hebrick asked how big the oasis was. Felsen asked if he could ask the ghosts, and he said he would rather not. The city's destruction was not peaceful. Ancient invaders destroyed the first empire inhabitants. Leoman said the oasis was vast. There are areas that have true soil, places with planted, planted with crops. Some cedar trees still stand, and there are pools and lakes, fresh water unending. If they decided to never leave, they would not have to. Hebrick asked how many people were here. Eleven tribes, 40,000 of the finest cavalry the world has ever seen. Hebrick grunted in reply, what can cavalry do against legions of infantry? Smiling, Leoman said, only change the face of war. Hebrick told him it had been tried before, and what makes the Malazan military so successful is its ability to adapt, to change tactics even on the battlefield. Does he think the Empire has not met horse cultures before? Met and subdued them? Examples being the Wiccans and Seti. Leoman asked how the Empire succeeded. Hebrick said he was not a historian for such details. They did not interest him. If there was a library with imperial texts from Duiker and others, he could read up on it. Leoman replied, You define the limits of their region, the map of their seasonal rounds. You take and hold their water sources, buildings, forts, and trading posts. For trade weakens your enemy's isolation, the very source of their power. And depending how patient you are, you either fire the grasslands and slaughter every animal on four legs, or you wait. And to every band of youths that ride into your settlements, you offer the glory of war and booty of foreign lands with the promise to keep the group together as a fighting unit. Such a lure plucks the flower from those tribes until none but old men and old women 
mutter about their freedom that once existed. Tedrick said he had done his reading then. Leumann told him there was a library here, a large one at the Elder Shaikh's insistence. Know your enemy better than they know themselves, so said Emperor Kalanved. Hebrick agreed, though he doubted Kalanved was the first to say it. A crowd began to form as they made their way to the heart of the settlement. Felsen felt all their eyes on her and heard their mutterings. She thought, Shaikh, yet not Shaikh, yet Shaikh. Look for her two favorite bodyguards, the Tobakai and Leoman of the Wastes the great warrior thinned by their journey into the desert. The prophecy spoke of rebirth, a renewal. Shaikh has retired. At long last, and she is reborn. Shaikh reborn. Those two words kept repeating, finding cadence and growing louder. Heberick said he hoped there was an amphitheater, asking if she remembered the last time they traveled crowded streets. She said it was better to go from shame to triumph than the other way around, and Heberick said he would not argue that. Leoman said there was a parade ground before the palace tent. Hebrick questioned this. Palace tent, huh? A symbol of power and the old ways of, of life and all that. Leoman spoke to Fellison saying that he may be problematic when they meet the high mages. She said he would wisely be quiet. Toblakai said to cut out his tongue, then they wouldn't have to worry. Hebrick laughed, saying he still underestimates him. He is blind, yet he sees. Cut out his tongue and see how he will speak. He told Felicin to relax and that he would hold his tongue and that he is no fool. Leoman warned him that if he kept using her old name, he was a fool. Felicin let them argue and bicker. She could feel a bond of sorts forming between them. Not one of friendship, but one of shared experience. Her rebirth is what they share. Felicin saw a fountain with the dais and she would speak to the and said she would speak to the followers. Leoman was surprised. Talk to the common folk before the high mages? You would make the three most powerful men in the camp wait? She said, yes. Would that concern Shaikh? Does her rebirth require their blessing? They weren't there, were they? Leoman tried to speak. Hebrick told him it was his turn to shut up. Felsen told Toblakai to clear a path for her. His presence on its own split a path through the crowd. She told the Toblakai that she would need his lungs to name her once she's ascended. He replied, I shall, chosen one. Hebrick scoffed, saying that was an apt title. She thought to herself, Shaikh reborn, the dark cloak of Drajana descending, Felicin, noble brat of Unta, whore of the mining pit, open the holy book and thus complete the rite. That young woman has seen the face of the abyss, that terrible journey behind her. And now comes the demand that she face the one before her. The young woman must relinquish her life, opening the holy book. Yet who would have thought the goddess so amiable to a deal? She knows my heart and grants her the confidence, it seems, of deferring her claim on it. The deal has been struck, power granted, so many visions, yet Felicin remains. Her rock-hard, scarred soul floats free in the vast abyss. And Leoman knows. Tobolkai bellowed, Kneel before Shaikh reborn. Felicin stepped past him, the power of Drajana trickling into her. She thought, Dear goddess, precious patroness, do you now hesitate your gifts? Like this crowd? Like Leoman? Do you await proof of my words? My intent? 
Yet she had enough power so that every word was heard in every ear, including the three high mages who did not kneel. She told her subjects to rise. She looked to the three mages and sent a message that she knew where they stood. She spoke. The holy desert rock who lies protected within the whirlwind circle, ensuring the sanctity of my return. While beyond, the rebellions claim claim dominion to rightful independence from Malazan tyrants, continues its spreading tide of blood. My servants lead vast armies. All but one of the seven cities has been liberated. She was silent a moment, letting the power grow within her. Our time for preparation is at an end. The time has come to march, to set forth from this oasis. The empress upon her distant throne would punish us. A fleet approaches the seven cities, an army commanded by her chosen adjunct, a commander whose mind I hold as map I hold a map as my own. She possesses no secret that I do not know. The mages had not moved. Felicin was gifted with knowing them. A sudden influx of knowledge could only be attributed to Elder Shaikh. She could see their faces as though they were right in front of her. The eldest was Bidithal the one who found her no more than a child. In an answer to his own visions, his eyes were fixed. She spoke through her mind. Do you remember that child? The one you used so brutally that first and only night to scourge from her all pleasures of the flesh. You broke her within her own body, left scars that felt nothing, that were senseless. The child who would not be distracted, no children of her own, no man at her side who could wrest loyalty away from the goddess. Bidithal, I have reserved a place for you in the fiery abyss, as you well know. But for now, you serve me. Kneel. The old mage sank down. She focused her attention on the next. Febril, the most cowardly and conniving of my high mages. Thrice you sought to poison me, and thrice Drygonus' power burned the poison from my veins. Yet, not once did I condemn you. Did you believe me ignorant of your efforts and your most ancient secret, your flight from Decim Altor before the final battle, your betrayal of the cause? Did you think I knew nothing of this? Nonetheless, I have need of you, for you are the lodestone of descent of those who would betray me. On your knees, bastard. She put more power into the command and drove the mage to his knees as if an invisible hand pushed him down. Finally, we come to you, Loric, my only true mystery. Your sorceress arts are formidable, particular, particularly in weaving an impervious barrier about you. The cast of your mind is unknown to me, even the breadth and depth of your loyalty. Although you seem faithless, I have found you the most reliable, for you are a pragmatist like Leoman, yet I am ever on your scales, my every decision, my every word. So judge me now, high mage, and decide. He dropped to one knee and bowed his head. Felison smiled and thought it was a half measure and pragmatic, and she had missed him. She saw the sly smile in the cover of his hood. She returned her attention back to the crowd, waiting for her to speak again. We must march, my children, yet that alone is not enough. We must denounce what we are about to do for all to see. 
the goddess was ready. Felicin, Shaik reborn, raised her arms. The dust formed a column above her, climbing higher into the sky. She thought the whirlwind was not but preparation for this. This, the raising of the Dryjana's standard, the spear that is the apocalypse, a standard to tower over an entire continent, seen by all. Now at last the war begins. My war, dear sister, see what you have made. And this is where I humbly take a pot. <laughs> uh, it certainly appears that way, doesn't it? She didn't open the book, though. So that's still something that needs to be answered for us. She didn't open the book. Not yet, no. But I would assume at this point that she's already Shaikh reborn. Uh, Do you not think so? No, I think she is for sure. It's just why else would she be gifted the, you know... The experiences that Elder Shaik went through with the three high mages. Oh yeah, yeah. She yeah. She's just like I think I, it's one of my talking points later on, but it just like I get uh, vibes of Absalar and the Wax, which it seems very similar to me. Something like that is going on. I mean, we've got I think Felison has the Shaik within her. Um, you know, feeding her information like stuff with the three mages and and who knows what else, and obviously giving her power. Not, it, it, it's a different power. It's not like she's got the skills of the assassin, but she's got must have some sort of magic. I don't know if it's a warren or what it is, but yeah. Well, I think that there's other things that support that support fellows in being Shaikh reborn. And I don't know if you caught this, but like at the beginning when Leoman and Haboric are like talking about you know, cavalry versus infantry. And Leoman explains that, no, we do have libraries and we've totally under, like we've totally done our research on the Malazan empire. That would allude to the fact that they had a historian, they had documentation. So my theory is, and I think this is kind of where it was a little bit of an aha moment or an aha thought to me is that Haboric is the Apocalypse's historian, and Duiker is the Malazan historian. I thought it was a Malazan library, but there was a comment that Hebrick made that definitely was a red flag to me, where he says he wasn't a historian for such details. Like, yeah, dude, you're a fucking historian. Like, you have to be about the details. Like... <laughs> Were you, were you just at the battle and you're like, yep, one side won and the other side lost? Like, no, like you're going to be keeping tabs on like how this is happening and, and like all those details matter. And so maybe that just leads some to your your theory here. Um, I guess I'm not sure. He doesn't want to give away too much or something. I, I don't know. But yeah, something definitely felt but, odd about that to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you know, Think about everything that Haboric can do, right? Like he's blind to the present is how I imagine it. He can see, he doesn't need the details because he, he gets what happens from the ghosts. You know, he is the living embodiment of the things that have happened previously. So I think that he is in some way, shape or form going to end up being a advisor, a historian to Felizen which would allude to a lot of the previous chapters where she's just like, I have need of you. 
I have need of you yet, you know? And I think that Thilzen didn't really know what she needed him for, but I guess that's just evidence that she was going to be the Shai Reborn. But she's going to have, you know, I, she was, I think she's going to have a lot of those memories from the elder Shaikh within her. Right. So, yeah. So I don't, I don't so, know how much she'll yeah. need like Hebrick for like that type of thing, but. Well, no, but I mean, moving on, right? Like elder Shaikh doesn't know anything moving forward. True. So I think Haborek is going to be her historian. And I have another theory that we'll get to in a little bit. Um, concerning the high mages so all right yeah um i don't know i guess we could I, did you have any other points because we could totally talk about that now um just one of the other things i had was where it talks about how elder shaikh was you know brutalized by bitithal to me it seemed a lot like how felison was used by benneth yep and it just like it, it makes me wonder, like you know, time being a circle, like is every Shaikh reborn kind of go through the same trials? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to word it. I guess, but absolutely. And it, I didn't even see this comment until I strolled down. But what about the other two? The other two mages? Yeah, like Fabral and uh, Loric, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you see similarities in in how? Okay, so this is what I was alluding to okay. before you said that. Sure. Yes, I hundred percent agree with the Beneath thing. That was what kind of got me on this train. But Febral, she tried to poison her, right? It doesn't really say how she was poisoned, but if you recall Bowden, right, he was always trying to, I guess, in a way, poison her mindset with the way that she was caring about herself and he was just very like like head buddy with her and still she remained strong to not give in to those like the way like his thoughts essentially so i feel like there's a similarity with the three mages and beneath bowden and haboric because loric i think is the historian of elder shaikh because she says like my every decision my every word so judge me now high mage and decide and all hebrick has been doing is judging her interesting and her actions and you know what i mean so like i think that you're absolutely right when you're talking about the similarities between beneath and the first high mage i already forget his name Bithal. um Bidithal. And I think that there's similarities between this, like this trifecta, right? Bidithal, uh, Febril, and then Loric are, as you said, the circle, right? We got Beneath, Bowden, and Haboric. So that was just something that, like, when I was reading it last night, I'm like, oh my God, how does this, like, there has to be something here because it was the Beneath thing and the Bidithal. And, you know, just being aggressively used, those were definitely similar, but that couldn't have been the only thing. The other two had to have some type of meaning. And then, like, as I was thinking about it, the hardest one for me was Febril with the whole poisoning thing, because I immediately go to, like, food and drink. But it could mean several different things, mentality, character, 
you know, and that those those trains of thought got me thinking about how Bowden wasn't necessarily judging fellows in, but more just like, well, you're a brat, so <laughs> you suck. No, like he wasn't he wasn't like approaching it from a constructive point of view, whereas Hebrick was like, well, maybe, you know, I see your point, but did you take all this into perspective? Sure. You know? So that's kind of where like I'm finding those similarities. I, whether that's right or not, I feel like it is, but and I think that maybe I've convinced you of the other two, but yeah, well, yeah. I was never against it. I just didn't think that uh, like far into it, but I, I like it. I think it, it to me it, it certainly seems to fit. Yeah, and Fellowsin does seem to be. She seems to have changed. You know, like she was very caring and compassionate with naming. With naming the uh, the orphan children, you know, it's not something that we've really seen in her journey so far. We still didn't find out a name. Not that that's probably like important, but the kids probably like, oh, like we can have a name. So I, I think it's kind of a big moment. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And here's the conversation that I don't want to have, and that is, I will admit, I was wrong. Elizan <laughs> Elizan is Shaikh reborn. Still, definitely have questions about the book, but yeah. So I can. I, I think that we conclude that this is the pie in the moment face. I think so. Um, for the one, anyways. Um, you know, the book. It, it certainly seems like she doesn't need it, but I don't know why that. I still think it could be real. Um, I don't know why her not needing it makes it a fake. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess at this point I'm I'm more lost than I was previously <laughs> as far as the book goes, but I still feel like we'll get some answers there. I, I'm sure we will. I think we will too. I'm not sure what those will be. Maybe it's like the conch shell, you know, um, just something that, you know, has, has some type of value to it. Yeah. But I don't know. I think it was, it was this section that really solidified my 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 changing of my mind i guess which is its purpose you know that's exactly what this section should be doing if you're not already aligned with fellows and being shy reborn but all of her motivations for whatever reason just made sense whereas before i don't know if it was just like me being arrogant or what but yeah it just it just popped into place, right? Like, I think it was really the whole part where she's just like talking about adjectivore without really naming her and out without really saying that she's her sister. Yeah, it was pretty. But it makes, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, she would be the whirlwind or Shaikh reborn because she knows the right-hand woman of Lucene better than anyone else does better than even Lucene does. Yeah. So who better to lead the rebellion? And whereas before I just thought it was a spiteful vengeance and it still is, but it's definitely one that Shaikh, the goddess Shaikh would want. I think someone leading. I think it, it kind of, it gives more credibility to my theory that, Fellison is going to die, but I don't like with where we're at in the book. Like, I don't think it's going to happen in this book. Now it, it, it would ha there's too much. I think that has to happen first. I mean, you know, for her to 
get to a battle with her sister. I think that, yeah, it's, I still believe she's going to die. I think Tavor is going to kill her, but I don't think it's happening here. Well, I mean, you brought up cyclical. So is it possible that Felizin is destined to die like Elder Shaikh? Like, is the story going to repeat the next time there's a rebellion? Or, yeah, I don't know. The needs of the rebellion need to happen. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't know on that. But, yeah, I think hmm. I, th- I think she's going to fall to Tavor at, eventually. Yeah. All right. Well, God, what a fucking... That was a great section. That was a really good section. Yeah, it was. Very powerful. It gave me tingles. Like, it gave me chills reading it. For sure. Anything else you want to talk about yeah. there? Or do you want to... I guess I kind of forgot this was my last section, so... Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm. Uh, no, I. I feel like we've talked about everything that I wanted to talk about. Cool. All right. So, yeah. Go ahead and bring us last home. section here. Fiddler fired a flamey a flamer bolt. A gout of fire bloomed in the heaving mass of rats, roasting scores of them. They retreated from Guylan's pursuit of them. Fiddler found himself being the rear guard, where he was once the point. Struggling to pull a carrion back, Apslar and Mapo explain, exclaimed that the Deiver has stolen powerful lives and that Grylan has never shown that capacity before. Fiddler hung on the word capacity. The last time he had met with the Deiver, the rats numbered in the hundreds. Now they numbered in the thousands, perhaps even tens of thousands. Year had rejoined them and led the retreat. Looking for a way to circle around, as that was the only chance they had. Fiddler thought to himself, himself, unless, of course, Icarium lost control, which gods helped them if he did, because he was damn close. Fiddler dug in his bag of munitions. He brushed past his last crosshair bolt and found instead another flamer. There was no time to affix it to his arrow. He was running out of those anyway. The front of the swarm's the front of the swarm of creatures were more than a half a dozen steps away from him. Fiddler's heart pounded in his chest. He thought that he had let them get too close this time. He flung the granado. Heaving bodies swallowed the liquid fire and tumbled towards him. The sapper turned and continued running. He nearly ran into Sean's blood-smeared jaws. He dodged, spun, and fell into an array of boots and moccasins. The group had come to a halt. Fiddler got up and said that they had to run. He heard Crocus ask him in a dry tone, where the hell were they supposed to run to, as they've got nowhere to go. They were at a bend in the path. On both sides was a solid wall of the swarming rats. Swarming rats. Four hounds attacked the far mob, while Sean stayed back, taking the place of blind, furiously close to Icarium. With a scream of rage, the jag threw the trell from his shoulders as an effortless shrug. The trowel flew and hit the root-filled floor. Fiddler screamed to everyone to get down as he fumbled in his munitions bag for that last cusser. With a sound of grief and sorrow, Icarium drew his sword. Wood snapped and recoiled as if to answer. The metallic sky blushed crimson and began twisting into a vortex above. Sap sprayed from the walls like sleet splattering everyone. Sean attacked Icarium, but was batted aside and sent flying. The jag barely noticing the effort. Fiddler stared at Icarium a moment longer before pulling his cusser free and tossing it at the divers. 
except it wasn't the cusser, but the conch shell. It hit the root floor, shattering like glass. Fiddler heard a crack behind him, but couldn't look around to see what the commotion was. All further sounds vanished as a whispering voice rose from the shattered shell. The sapper thought to himself about the Tano spirit walker's gift, a whispering that filled the air, a song of bones, finding muscle as it swept forward. The mass of rats on both sides attempted to flee, but there was nowhere for them to go. The sound enveloped all. All the creatures began to crumple, the flesh withering from their bodies, leaving only fur and bones. The song took that flesh, and so it grew. Ryland's thousand of voice, voices screamed, was an anguished explosion of terror and pain. It was swallowed and devoured. Fiddler clapped his hands to his ears. The song resonated within him, a voice that wasn't human. He twisted and fell to his knees. What he saw before him, he struggled to process. His companions were doing the same. The hounds trembling, ears flat. Mappo crouched over the prone, motionless body of Icarium. In the trail's hands was the bone club, fresh with blood and red hair. He dropped the club and covered his ears. Fiddler thought to himself, gods, this will kill us all. Stop. Make it stop. He realized that he was going mad. He now saw a wall of water rushing upon them down the path, building higher and escaping the confines of the maze. He could see the wall now, as if it had turned to liquid glass. Wreckage, foundation stones, the remains of rotted ships, shapeless hunks of oxidized metal, bones, skulls, casks and chests, splintered masts, a submerged memory of countless civilizations, an avalanche of tragic events. The wave buried them, drove them all down with its immense weight. Then it was gone, leaving them dry as dust. Silence filled the air, slowly broken by the party slowly stirring. Fiddler got to his hands and knees and looked up. Ghostly remnants of that flood remained in him as he was overtaken with grief and sorrow. Fiddler recalls the interaction with the Tano Spirit Walker. Fiddler had asked if it was protective sorcery. The Tano Spirit Walker had only smiled and said, a sort of. Fiddler curses himself for almost selling the conch shell in Gijanisban. Fiddler sensed a new tension in the air as Mappo stood up with his club over the motionless form of Icarium. The hounds were ranged around him with their hackles raised. Fiddler scrambled the first crossbow and called out to Poos to tell these hounds to back down. The high priest was still staggering from the Tano sorcery, but said that the Azath could take him now. Now is the time. The trowel growled, no. Fiddler hesitated, and in his thoughts, he recalled what Icarium had instructed them to do with the Azath. Fiddler told the high priest to call them off. He plunged one hand into his bag and found the cusser. He explained to the high priest that if the hounds should attack, they won't survive the sapper's fall, one that he was holding. Who damns the sappers and ask who had invented them? Fiddler grinned and explained that it was Kelenved who had made them, who had ascended to be Poos' god. Fiddler explained to Poos that he thought the high priest would appreciate the irony in that. The high priest starts to say, the bargain, before he's interrupted by Fiddler, who said that the bargain could wait a bit longer. The sapper asked how hard the trial hit Icarium and how long he would be out for. Mappo replied that he would be out as long as he wanted him to be. Fiddler told the high priest one last time to call off the hounds, call, to call the hounds off so they could reach the house. Pooh stopped his staggering circle and then glanced over at Apsar with a grin. 
Absalar told Poos to do what the sapper said. His grin vanished and said that the youth of today know nothing of loyalty. Right, servant? Relic grimaced and said that Poos had heard what Absalar said. Poos gets pissed and tells Relic how and tells Relic how spoiled his daughter, how much he spoiled his daughter by letting her get her way. He's been betrayed by his own generation. What next? Fiddler doesn't give the high priest what he wants in response, but rather says that they should keep going. Crocus is heard saying that it won't be much further, as he can see the house down the way. Mapo slung his weapon over his shoulder and picked up a carrion. Fiddler could not keep looking as he was touched with a scene of such gentle caring. Woofda! Yeah. <clears throat> There's a lot going on there. Yeah. Dude, just at the beginning of the section, like, just imagining how close fiddler is to grillin grylin like that's some scary fucking shit man like can i i would be shitting my pants dude i would absolutely be shitting my pants yeah I and going from being leader of the pack to <laughs> the one that's closest Ugh. yeah be in the rear guard yeah exactly um so there's a point where and i know that we talked about this a little bit but it's it's funny how the hounds are so no matter what's going on the hounds are just so enthralled with with keeping a carry him at bay a little bit you know and even getting to the point where attacking him when he's ready to when he's ready to fight but then mapo knocks him out knocks him unconscious just clubs him like a baby seal <laughs> oh yeah dude <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Just like that. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, there's so I wonder if Carrie made the Ezath. I know we had text a little bit about that, but there was a line, and I don't remember exactly where it was, but I think it was when you said something about how uh, you know the Ezath fear to carry him. Well, if if he, you know, the Ezath seems to have some sort of awareness, right? Yeah. So if it knows who created it, I would think he'd be about the only thing that could destroy it. That explains to me why it's fearful of him. Well, do you think that he's half Azath, half Jag then? I don't know. I just think he's, I think it's another one of his, because like if you get, if you get, uh, I guess, captured by the Azath, you're like stuck there for eternity, right? Pretty much. So it seems like another sort of time construct to me. Sounds like something he would make. So you think Akaria made the dead houses? I don't Or made them like a living thing and like maybe an early experiment of him creating time machines, right? Like, because it's not like he knew what he was doing when he started doing it, right? I mean, the Azath and dead house are different things, right? I thought that they were one and the same. I, I thought they were different. Because <laughs> we don't... The, the dead houses only seem to be, and it makes sense why they're called dead houses, right? Like, it's where you're trapped for eternity, you know, whether you're imprisoned or whether you're, you end up dying there. So I think the Azath create the dead houses. Yeah, I don't know. It's, but, it's not a very sound theory on my end, but it's just something I wondered about, like, if it, maybe he created it somehow. Yeah, I'm not going to be like, oh... Well, I'm wrong. Well, I'm all mad about it, but just something like a thought that popped into my head. Well, I, I just keep going back to, you know, Rayist and his finest, like his finest 
ended up being, you know, in the gardens of Jerusalem behind Lady Simmental's estate. Yeah, because somebody and put it that there. essentially right. Lauren did. She buried it there. Right. So that Reyes would come find it. You know, it was the way that it was explained in Gardens of the Moon is that like once a Jag Hut gets their finis, they're all powerful. Well, I mean, just because Icarium is half Jag doesn't mean that the Jag Hut wouldn't share their traditions with him. You know, maybe he was raised by the Jag Hut, but he's half a Zath, you know, because the other half is his finest. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I don't know uh, either. Like I said, it was just kind of a fleeting thought. I don't know if anything will come of it. I don't, I don't really think yeah. so. But just a speculation. So what do you think of like Gryland being kaput here? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I like him as a character just for how like fucked up he is. And I would definitely like to to know more about him, but I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen. Right. I, yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah. I feel like it it fits. I didn't feel like it was out of place. I feel like it worked. You know, it's not like that battle has to be an entire chapter or anything. But true. Right? Yeah. I, you know, it was a nice demise. It was scary as fuck. You know, and then care or not Icarian, but then Fiddler. Fiddler has to like go from Gryland to basically fending himself off from these hounds because at this point, Boost and the hounds recognize that Icarium is unconscious. So, hey, what better time than to give the Azath and uphold our end of the bargain? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're not going to probably get many more opportunities like that. So take it when you can. But. Apparently, it's, it's going to have to wait, though, I guess. Yeah, which is interesting. And, you know, speaking of Poost, he almost kind of defers to Apsilar a little bit, doesn't he? When he looks over to her, almost like he's seeking confirmation on what to do next. Not something... Or when they when he's, when Fiddler asks to call off the hounds. I guess I didn't really notice that. Uh the last time Fiddler told Poost to call off the hounds so they could get to the house, you know, Poost stops his staggering and then glanced over at Apslar with a grin. So being that, you know, Apslar is essentially Dancer's knowledge, I'm wondering if that's really the case. Because she's clearly holding back information. I guess, where did all of this, like, sense of responsibility come from keeping their secrets? If, in fact, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I don't You think we'd be getting clarity on some stuff here this close to the end of the book, but we're, I feel like we're just coming up with more questions. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which is funny, because that's kind of ironic. As you remember Apsilar and Akirium's conversation when they were camping uh, before they got to the maze? They were like, Apslar explained to Kyrian that, you know, with with more memories comes a thousand more questions. Yeah. And, you know, or with more answers comes a million more questions. And <laughs> uh, we're in a similar boat here. So for sure. It's it's just crazy writing. It's just fucking amazing. Like top shelf. Agreed. I'm kind of glad Fiddler didn't get rid of this uh this conch shell now. And this whole time, I had completely forgotten about it. I mean, like, I didn't forget about it. Like, I knew that he had it, but wasn't ex- it's just, yeah. I wasn't expecting it to be, I guess, used in the way it was. Yeah. 
So do you think this was like some type of uh like spirit? Like some past spirit that was unleashed or I don't know what the hell it was. I I because like I don't know. Has vision, like a previous like previous civilizations being like demolished. So I don't know if it was a memory of something that just was able to kill Grylin or if it was like Grylin's kryptonite or something, and that's why the Tano Spirit Walker I already forgot his name, you know, gave it to him. Like he knew that they would confront Grylin out there. I don't remember his name either. And then like, I was trying to remember like how their like what their warren was or like how it was supposed to work and stuff. And I just, I mean, that was a while back in the book. And so I don't really remember anything from that. I have to go back and listen to our episodes around there, I guess. Yeah. Well, you already passed that episode. Oh, I'm, I'm current. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There's definitely more answers. I'm really anxious to read on, and that's probably what I'll do until Danny gets home. So, well, the spoiler that I came across has got to be coming up pretty quick. You still won't tell me, huh? I mean, if you want to know. No, I don't. <laughs> okay. Because I think you should take a pie for it. I do. You were naughty. I was. I was should be punished. I wasn't naughty. No, I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> I was. It was just unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll give you that. You know, it's that. Yeah, that's why I like. You know, every time you're like, "Hey, you should post on this," I'm like, "Oh, what if I run into something I don't want to see?" You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I just. I think. I mean, I love the community, but. For new for new folks that haven't posted before and have a question, they may not not know all the etiquette. So I just try to be preventative of that. I think when when you do read it, especially if you read it before I do, you're gonna be like, "What the fuck?" Like, well, if it's anything like the last book, I feel like Gardens of the Moon, the the climax, it was, oh God, what was it around chapter twenty or chapter twenty one or something like that? So. We got to be getting close to the very like zenith of the story, and then we'll kind of have the the aftermath a little bit, right? Well, what our next chapter is going to be 40, 45 pages, something like that. So it'll be a pretty chunky one. Oh, for sure. And based on its length, I'm imagining that we're probably going to get Duiker Duiker's story in here. So I would I would think we're probably going to see probably most of the characters at some point in it. I would think. Yeah, absolutely. I will probably go upstairs and and read uh, maybe a section or two. I think those those are my favorite chapters when we get some of everybody in it. I like that. Yeah. Because then I don't like I don't want I feel like I'm not missing out on you know those characters that aren't there and like wondering what they're doing. You get a little taste of everybody. Yeah, I'm sure we'll come back to you know kalam and sulk um and the captain and all that i would imagine that you know they're venturing they're venturing for falari which from what i've gathered based on what we've read is like close to malaz city or Quantali or wherever they're headed so rafo yep and i think that uh i think that Icarium, fiddler and apslar and all those guys they'll they'll head through the dead house and that's where they'll meet up with kalam mm-hmm. and yeah i guess that'll kind of start the next journey i think 
that we probably won't get to until House of Chains. <laughs> well, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. One book at a time there, friend. One book at a time. Only another year. Ish. All right. Well, so are we gonna are we gonna do chapters three and four of Curse of the Fallen? Is that gonna be our next uh our next episode? Uh I was thinking so. I mean I definitely I'd want like it's gonna be hard to take a week off from this book, but Yeah, well I mean we have two episodes for Malazan in the bank at the moment. This will be the second one. Um, but three total that need to be released. Because I'm still working on chapter sixteen. Gotcha. Which I mean at least we got the hard drive now, so we'll be able to do that. Yep. That won't be an issue. Uh uh can't thank my girlfriend enough for that. It was just really sweet because I know that you know, but our audience doesn't know. She um kind of about three years ago left her veterinary job uh because she had always dreamed of being a a real estate agent. So I was just like, well, you know, we can afford to live off what I make. Not a lot, but, you know, enough to keep our heads above water. So why don't you take your classes? So all that stimulus money that we got from the government during the COVID pandemic, she used to purchase, purchase her real estate school and got her licensing. And, you know, it's, um, it's been rocky at moments, but she was just like, you know, you supported me. And what I wanted to do, so the least that I can do is is buy you a $120 hard drive so you can keep doing what you want to do. So I just thought that that was really sweet. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but I guess I had nothing else to say about this really amazing chapter. It was, like I said, I read it on my way to Pittsburgh last week, and I remember like just finishing it and staring out the window, looking at nothing in Ohio, and I'm like, God damn it. Like, God, that was fucking awesome. And then I texted you right after that. <laughs> Danny was just like, what, 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 what? And I'm like, it was just a good chapter. <laughs> it was a good chapter, for sure. And I'm sure the next one's going to be good, too. And yeah, we're just about there to the end. We're just about there. Yeah, after after this next chapter, we'll have just like an, like an 115 pages left. And then we're done. It'll go. It'll go quick. Yes, it will. Yes, it definitely will. So cool, man. Well, uh, great episode. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll chat with you some other time. Definitely. And uh, don't forget to check out Silverstone's books, check out their website. And we got that, uh, we got that promo code there for 10% off. I suppose when we published this episode, Justin, we should probably maybe link to their website and, and put that code in the description or something. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely do that. Um, cool. That sounds great. I'm actually going to check that out before I read. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of cool stuff there. So I've looked through it. I haven't looked through everything, but I've looked through a pretty good amount. And it's just like, ah, uh, books and books and books, but I don't have enough time to read them all. It sucks. But what do you do, right? Yeah. Add them to the list. Right. Add them to the list. Well, maybe I'll just start buying my uh, my paper. I have five more paperbacks of Steven Erickson's to get um, bone hunters through crippled God. So maybe I'll just pick those up with that coupon. I guess I'm not sure if they have those on there or not. It, it's a lot of self-published oh. stuff, but um, I don't remember what it was. I did see some bigger stuff on there, but so I, I don't know their entire catalog of what they have. 
officer to take a look and see what they got. Is it just new books or is it used books too? Uh, I believe it's just new. Oh, okay. All right. Well, cool. There's some new stuff I could pick up. Definitely. Cool. Well, yeah. I'll uh, talk to you later, dude. All right. Have a good uh, Sunday afternoon here. Yes, you do the same. Will do. Bye, buddy. Happy Memorial Day. (laughs) Thank you. Bye.